Hi, it's Nathan Eckersley here. Before we get into the new episode of my podcast, I do need to warn you. On this episode, you might hear me asking you to send me a message with your opinion. I love hearing your opinions, but the messages you hear me reading out on air are from the live broadcast of the podcast, which takes place on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3pm UK time. If you want to get involved, make sure you listen live then. Please don't try to send in any messages for this episode, as your message won't be read, but you might still be charged. Anyway, that's the legal bit done. Now on to the show. I'm Nathan Eckersley, and on the show this week, we are looking at freedom of speech and asking if it really is disappearing. I'll also be looking at the role of religion today as we celebrate Easter, Passover and Ramadan, and asking if religion is dying out. It's a packed show and I want to hear from you, so let's go. French philosopher Voltaire who once said, I detest what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it during the Enlightenment, a period of history where the battle of ideas raged on and freedom of speech, thoughts and expression reigned supreme. Today, however, if you detest what someone says, you can simply block them on social media so you never have to hear from them again, or worse, even report their comments to someone in a position of power and authority so they are punished for saying something which you detest. Cancel culture is an abhorrent evolution in our public discourse and something which needs to come to an end and fast. Freedom of speech is sadly becoming a thing of the past because people are so fearful of a public backlash if they say something provocative or controversial that they are even censoring themselves before they get censored. Twitter has effectively become the world's forum. It's the platform where everyone, from world leaders, public intellectuals and titans of industry, to local councillors, teachers, small business owners and everyone in between, can share their views and start debates. But over the last few years, Twitter has been actively promoting voices, particularly from a liberal left-wing position, and minimising the contributions of those on the right because their views don't fit the common narrative in our public discourse. More and more conservatives are being sent warnings from Twitter moderators and even being banned for expressing conventional conservative viewpoints on current affairs. To put this in context, how on earth is it for public safety in the eyes of the Twitter bosses that Donald Trump, when he was the incumbent president of the United States, has to have his account permanently suspended? And yet leaders of terrorist organisations like the Taliban and Hamas are still allowed to have their accounts and use them to push hateful content and propaganda. This week, there was a glimmer of hope for champions of free speech, as billionaire Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk, who bought 9.2% of Twitter at the start of April to make him the single largest shareholder, announced that he was offering to buy the whole company for $41 billion dollars and make it private so he could reform it and make it the bastion of free speech it started off as. 
The move sparked a surge in Twitter share prices as his offer of $54.20 per share was way above the market value, and many public figures were split on Musk's decision. Whilst some thought it was a great idea and gave the world a sense of optimism that cancel culture might start to become a thing of the past, others thought it was incredibly dangerous that one person could own such an influential platform. Elon Musk gave a TED talk on Thursday when he made the offer to explain his decision to bid for Twitter and explained why he wanted to reform it. Listen to what he had to say. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm. Um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets, you know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So there's, there's no sort of behind the scenes um, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. Um, he went on to give his definition of what free speech means to him. Have like I said, the perception and reality that speech is as free as reasonably possible. And a good sign as to whether so there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like. And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning uh, free speech situation. So Elon Musk's dangerous idea, which will bring great harm to public discourse, is allowing people you don't like to say things you don't like. Rather than consider reforming the social media platform to make it open and inclusive of other perspectives, as Musk wants to do, the Twitter board of directors decided to take what is known as a poison pill. Now this means existing shareholders, except for Elon Musk, can buy additional shares at a discount if his share goes over 15%, so that his shares become diluted and it becomes much harder for him to take over. The majority of those who claim Musk owning Twitter is dangerous, and who are mainly from a left-wing position, did not think it was dangerous for Amazon founder Jeff Bezos to buy the Washington Post in 2013. And the Washington Post is the most influential newspaper in the United States, and it's broken some of the most important stories which have changed the course of history, including the Watergate scandal, which resulted in Richard Nixon becoming the only US president to resign from office. Social media has made debate toxic, and that toxicity is starting to filter into wider society, most notably in education. University campuses in particular have been some of the worst at limiting free speech by stunting intellectual dissent and promoting left-wing and liberal perspectives. On university campuses, most notably in the UK and the US, conservative groups have been subjected to horrendous levels of abuse. Conservative societies at UK freshers' fairs have even had promotional stands vandalised, and in one case, a union flag was taken by protesters who spray-painted Tory scum on it. It isn't just students who feel a toxic atmosphere in their universities, as researchers and lecturers are also being affected. Recent research from Policy Exchange has found that 32% of academics who lean either to the right or are very right are self-censoring their teaching and research, as are 15% of academics who are in the centre or on the left. 
Putting political ideology to one side for a moment, if we take Brexit, 40% of academics who backed leaving the European Union refrained from publishing or airing views in research and teaching for, quote, fear of consequences to their career. In a country where the principles of free speech were founded, and where its universities rank as some of the best in the world, it is an absolute scandal that there is such a toxic culture around the free exchange of ideas. That same report has even found that 40% of those on the left would discriminate in hiring someone for an academic job in favour of someone who supported former, le former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. Now, I am fortunate and immensely grateful as a Brexit-backing, free-market-supporting, lockdown-sceptical young Conservative to have a public platform where I can discuss the biggest issues of the day freely, without the fear of being cancelled, and to have you sending in messages which challenge me and my views. Because we can all learn from each other by hearing from things from perspectives which we hadn't previously considered. I've changed my mind on certain issues after reading your messages and considering topics from a new angle. But I know a number of people with a similar worldview to my own who feel they cannot do that on their own university campuses or in their jobs because of the possible consequences of mentioning a benefit of Brexit or challenging a lockdown restriction can bring. The crux of the issue when it comes to free speech right now is that we may have the freedom to speak, but we do not have the freedom to say what we really think anymore. A book called Free Speech and Why It Matters by Andrew Doyle really hit the nail on the head when it discusses the ancient Greek principle of parhesia, which means freedom of speech with candour or openness. And that is what is so desperately lacking in our public discourse at the moment. Until tensions within public debates de-escalate and we can learn to accept, and most importantly respect, views which differ to our own, free speech is being extinguished, and it is on all of us to keep the flame of freedom alive. And I want to hear from you on this, so please do get in touch. You can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, is freedom of speech disappearing? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rates apply at 07807 183538. You can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. And all of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. Let's hear what you have to say. And our first message today comes from Alex. Alex says, I don't think there is any argument that freedom of speech isn't at risk of disappearing. Just look at the culture at the moment. There is a loud minority on both the left and the right that dominate the conversation and both refuse to listen to the other side. And if you say one thing that even a single member of your own side disagree, disagrees with, you're shunned and silenced. What sort of society do we live in where we are afraid to speak our minds because if we say just the wrong thing or the right thing but in the slightly wrong way, we could have, have everything taken away from us and our public voice silenced? I actually think that that is terrifying, Nathan, and it makes it me genuinely scared for my future, because you could be cancelled for any little thing without even realising you're making a misstep. Well, thank you for that message, Alex. And that's certainly a, a view a number of people, or certainly a lot of people are, are feeling at the moment, and especially on social media as well. Social media has been really, really terrible in re allowing cancel culture to take place and you know, by having 
prominent voices on platforms like Twitter. Twitter's ex especially bad for this, but to have platforms where uh, uh, pylons are encouraged for a, a controversial topic, uh, topic or a, a statement and uh, someone with uh, hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of followers picks up on that and uh, tries to uh, encourage their own followers to uh, send messages of opposition and even in some cases abuse to someone. It's absolutely horrendous and a really toxic culture has developed. You're absolutely right to, to point that out within society at, at the moment. And this, this is part of the reason why I'm so interested in why Elon Musk wants to purchase Twitter. And in particular, his idea of making the Twitter algorithm open sourced. So essentially make, making the code which designs your, your timeline if you do use Twitter. Uh, you just publishing the code so anyone can look through it pick out certain points point out what works well what doesn't work well explains why certain tweets or messages or ideas are promoted over others and any, any twitter user can see really just how much uh, left uh, left-leaning ideas or liberal leaning ideas or even further, further to the left than that, so those tweets and ideas can be amplified and promoted far more than any conservative ideas. And in doing so, we do run the risk of allowing fringe voices to come up in this debate and be promoted as the opposition, if, if you like. And you know, rather than have a conventional, say, a, a centre-left, a, a centrist, liberal and centre-right person, having a... a a respectful debate and discussion about a certain topic. Instead, we're allowing extremes constantly to uh, come up and give opposing views and no one's budging in their in their positions and in their stances at the moment. And that's something that's re really difficult at the moment and really quite dangerous, actually. It, because if we're just allowing extreme voices on left and right just to go head to head, no one gains anything because if no one's prepared to change their minds or change their perspectives on something, then what's the point in even having a debate when instead it just turns into a shouting match? But thank you for that message, Alex. And you're, you're right, it, it, it can be quite scary that cancel culture has become so widespread and almost normalised in some cases and particularly on university campuses as well. It's becoming a real issue that does need looking at and uh, the government is doing that at the moment with its new free speech bill on and uh, freedom on university campuses legislation. So thank you for that message, Alex. Our next message comes from Josh. Josh says, Nathan, what sorts of rubbish are you talking about? I'm so sorry to hear that you and your friends on Twitter are being silenced. In the meantime, if you care to look at the facts, you'll know that in 2019, Twitter suspended hundreds of accounts linked to Hamas and Hezbollah, and Twitter has suspended dozens of accounts linked to left-wing Occupy movement. Trying to interpret Twitter suspensions as only impacting conservatives is just factually inaccurate when Twitter suspensions are completely bipartisan. Probably one of the only bipartisan things nowadays. And on your comment about Trump, I think it ju uh, shows just how dangerous Trump was that he got suspended. He wasn't suspended just because of his conservative ideas, Nathan. He was suspended because he was encouraging violence. Any misinterpretation of that is also factually inaccurate. Well, thank you for that message. Josh, and I mean, you're absolutely right to point out that Twitter has suspended hundreds of accounts linked to terrorist organizations. I, I don't dispute that in any way. So, similarly, it doesn't matter left wing, right wing, you know, it is absolutely right that uh, hateful content, harmful content 
is moderated and accounts that promote such content are suspended, banned, reported, you know, whatever it may be, because there is absolutely no place for hateful content or uh, promoting terrorist propaganda in any way, shape or form. So yes, it's absolutely right to point that out, but it still doesn't change the fact that regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, whether you think he's the greatest president of the, the modern era or he was the worst thing to ever happen to the world, the fact that one company had the power to silence the incumbent president of the United States, the leader of the free world, that's, that's not right. If, if they'd done it when he'd left office, which he was going to do about two, two weeks later, I, th I think it was, you know, fine, he's a private citizen then, you can do what you want. But at that time, he was the, he was the leader of the free world. He was in a, an elected public office and had a, a platform where he was communicating to the world. And again, we can dis discuss the, the riots on uh, the, on the, the US Capitol at, at, at length. And, you know, there, there are many debates that can be had about that. But when we actually go into the, the specifics of Trump's suspension, he was suspended after t telling people to leave leave the scene and telling people to uh, not pursue violence. And yes, his speech outside the, the White House where he did encourage people to march to the Capitol was incredibly ill-advised. And yes, I'm, I'm sure did certainly encourage members of the, the crowd to go and uh, pursue a, a, a more violent uh, means of protest. But for, to actually suspend his account and to... Uh, no longer give him that platform when he is the president of the United States was incredibly wrong. If, if Twitter felt so strongly that he was a, a really su such a dangerous individual, then they should have done it to him when he was a, a private citizen just two weeks later, because he he was the directly elected president of the United States, and he absolutely had the right and should have had the right to remain uh, on the platform on, until his his time in office was over, as I say, a couple of weeks later. But even so, there are, even though Twitter has suspended many, many accounts related to Hamas, Hezbollah, Taliban, the leadership of the, well, some certain members of the leadership of those organizations are still on the platform and still uh, promoting their own uh, propaganda and ideology and uh, di discussing uh, aspects of, of their regime, which really do meet the hateful content parameters that Twitter sets in its uh, terms of service. But yes, they are still allowed because in, in some cases they are in uh, official government positions. And so by having those voices allowed, but yet Donald Trump isn't, and that was right at the very end of his presidency, there, there is a real double standard going on here. And again, it goes back to why what Elon Musk wants to do is so important, because by having that algorithm open source, we can see exactly why uh, certain voices are amplified or not, and why certain aspects of uh, extreme views are uh, banned or not, and what meets those terms of service. And you know, you know maybe some good will come from this if he does uh, end up buying it. I, I'm not sure he will, given the moves that the Twitter board of directors has made. But even even so, I, I appreciate your your argument there, Josh. And uh, it, you know, you are absolutely right to point out that uh, there are many many suspensions on either side of extreme content, but those are just the, the prominent individuals that I mentioned. But thank you for that message, Josh. Uh, our next message comes from Reese. Reese says, I think our society has a confusion or even a delusion at the difference between choosing not to listen to something and forcing someone not to say the thing you don't want to hear. 
I'm at university at the moment and I see this confusion, which is what I call it, all around me every day. People see that somebody is coming to speak at uni and maybe they disagree with something that person has said in the past. Instead of going to that lecture and asking questions in disagreement, or just not attending, they demand that the speaker just doesn't come in the first place uh, in the name of free speech. People don't realise that that deplatforming people is the literal opposite of freedom of speech. It's stopping them from speaking. As obvious as that might sound, Nathan, the amount of people I meet every day who don't understand that basic principle is shocking. Well, thank you for that message, Reese, and I, I completely agree with you there. You know, the, the, the idea of deplatforming as well, and it does link to cancel culture and this assault that we see at the moment on freedom of speech, it's incredibly dangerous. And it's so absolutely vital, not, not just to public debates, but to our own personal education and development. That we hear voices that we disagree with, that we hear from perspectives that we hadn't previously considered, that challenge our own beliefs and views and ideas about the world. And one prime example of, of this that I, I, I saw back in uh, December was at the London School of Economics. And uh, one of the student societies had invited the Israeli ambassador to the UK to g give a lecture. And there were some horrendous protests at her, her attendance and uh, calling for her to be deplatformed, as, as you say. And, uh, you know, the, her, hurling some absolutely horrendous abuse at her when she was there to the point where she had to have police escort her through the the university buildings to the lecture theatre. She had to be rushed out of the building because the protesters were starting to get violent. Extra police officers were called as well uh, to, to keep her and her advisors safe and to have a, a police escort as well to leave the university. I mean, that is just absolutely appalling and should not happen in any educational institution, let alone one of the UK's top educational uh, institutions and the, one of the UK's best universities. You know, to have that there is, is just wrong. And we, we do see a lot of abuse towards uh, pro-Israeli figures and uh, people from the Israeli government because of that opposition to uh, the, the regime there and the, the, the governing system there and the parties that rule. And again, it it's far more beneficial to listen to what they say. As you say, ask questions of the speakers and learn from their perspective. And maybe you might come away learning something. And if not, then at least you've had the opportunity to question the, the individual speaking and question the ideas that they are promoting. But thank you for that message, Reese. And a reminder that if you do want to get involved, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, is freedom of speech disappearing? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And all of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back. Let's check in with the results so far on this week's poll. The question of the day is, is freedom of speech disappearing? Well, 71% of you say, yes, freedom of speech is disappearing, but 29% of you say, no, it is not. Well, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And please do keep your messages coming through. A reminder that all contact details can be found on the website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. Let's go to some more of your messages. And our next message comes from Harper. Harper says, I actually think that people overestimate the power of cancel culture, Nathan. Firstly, how many people have been cancelled, only to then resurface a few months later? 
the comedian Louis C.K. was cancelled and then won a Grammy a couple of weeks ago, just as an example. Trump may be removed from Facebook and Twitter, but he's still a powerful voice within the Republican Party. There are countless similar examples. Just because society tries to cancel someone doesn't actually stop them from being able to say that thing. It just means that a portion of the public might ignore what they say, as is their right as well. So all in all, I don't think there is a disappearing freedom of speech. If anything, there never has been more dialogue about it. Well, thank you for that message, Harper. And yes, some, some people do get cancelled and in some cases quite rightly so be it for uh, misconduct or uh, com committing a crime for example uh, and uh, in the case of uh, Louis CK as, as well that that was his uh, inappropriate behavior and that forced him to uh, cancel his uh, comedy tour around the US and cancel TV appearances etc but yes he did win a Grammy and I believe that a lot of that was down to the fact that his nomination his, well his record company's nomination to the the board which uh, puts out who gets shortlisted for a, a Grammy award did that before he was actually cancelled but nonetheless it's still a, a very good point and I'm sure that's you know in, in reviewing his conduct and his behavior that will have been put into consideration when they were making the shortlist but again as, as for Trump it, yes he was cancelled uh, well removed for, certainly from Facebook Twitter and Instagram as well and yes, he is still a powerful figure within the Republican Party. But his his position has been diminished quite significantly as well within the Republican Party. And his endorsement is quite an interesting point, point of debate within the Republican Party at the moment as well. Because, of course, in November, the midterm elections for Congress will be coming up. And Trump has been endorsing a number of candidates, mostly those who subscribe to his America First platform and those who mostly align with his views on the world, particularly around uh, oil production as well, restore, resuming domestic oil production and uh, economic growth, trade protectionism, th things like that, social issues as well, and uh, gun rights as well. There's a wide variety of aspects to Trumpism, if you like, which have been the factors in him endorsing certain candidates. But because of his uh, uh, position in, in that he has been uh, removed from certain platforms, yes, that has diminished his position within the public debate. And, you know, when he did have a Twitter account, he was just tweeting his thoughts unfiltered and people got a real insight into him. But now, as you say, now that he's off that platform, there are far fewer people who see the content he's producing, most of it through press releases. And of course, he has set up his new Truth Social uh, social media platform, which has it seems to be just uh, Trump supporters only, or more or less, on that platform, and uh, has become something of an echo chamber. And we've seen that in a number of fringe platforms as well, to Twitter that's been set up to try and uh, give voices who claim they've been cancelled a platform to speak. Things like Getter and, and Parler as well, uh, just to name a couple. You know, they are becoming echo chambers because Twitter was that platform where all those voices could converge and meet and discuss. But now so many of them have been removed and it does amplify those left wing to liberal voices. And do, and they do in some ways not cancel, but certainly cancel out a number of conservative or, or right leaning perspectives. But no, I, I, fu I fully accept your points that you know just because someone's cancelled, it doesn't mean that they're finished forever. You know, and you've mentioned the, the example there of Louis C.K., but 
the fact that people are being cancelled in the first place for a variety of things, some rightly, but many quite wrongly, just for simply voicing a wrong opinion, then that that's where the issue lies. But thank you for that message, Harper. And our next message comes from Eve. Eve says, Nathan, you said something that I can't quite get over. You said that one company, e.g. Twitter, shouldn't have the power to silence the president of the USA. Yet at the same time, you're advocating for one person, Elon Musk, to have the very same power. Regardless of what he says about what he's going to do with that power, at the end of the day, it's giving one person the keys to the global conversation. It makes him more powerful than any elected leader in the world. And that is very, very scary in my opinion, especially when you consider that Elon Musk doesn't exactly have the cleanest track record about his history either. Well, thank you for that message, Eve. And I fully accept that point, you know, that it is handing control of uh, one company into the hands of another and, of course, cancelling uh, Trump as well as, as president. But where I think Elon Musk is coming at this from a fresh perspective in, in comparison to, say, others who've uh, got uh, strong stakes in Twitter and the way the, the board of directors operates at the moment, is that Musk wants to make this a, an open source project just as he has done with a number of his other projects and a number of aspects of Tesla as well have been made open source so that you know, people can point out where the flaws are, where things can be improved. And you know, Musk, to, to his credit, he does regularly use Twitter as a platform to speak to people, to hear from ideas and whether they've got the biggest platform or if they've just got half a dozen followers, for example, you know, he doesn't... Uh, dis discriminate between follower account or uh, success or celebrity status, whatever it is, in in that respect. But he does take into account what what suggestions people have, and he does he does respond to that, especially with Tesla and making certain aspects of that open source, which is what he wants to do with the Twitter algorithm. He wants to make. He's already said as well. He's he, he wants to bring in as many shareholders as he is legally allowed to do within the the remits of. Uh, the, the US federal law and uh, the acquisitions of, of companies and making them private. He does want to keep as many shareholders and directors as possible within the law to have that collaboration. So, uh, yes, I, I do feel like that there are certain issues around one person owning that, that massive company and, again, making it private. There are concerns about that and they are perfectly legitimate arguments. But I think what's different is the the way he's going about it by wanting collaboration on making it a, a fairer platform and a platform where there is a much greater level of freedom of speech than there currently is already. So thank you for that message, Eve. And our next message is from Josh again. Josh, who uh, sent a message earlier, who was uh, com in complete disagreement with me and uh, talk talk uh, talking about how... Uh, Twitter had already banned groups like Hezbollah and Hamas and well, well individuals linked to those organizations and uh, discussing that uh, it, the, there are inaccuracies in just totally banning conservatives. But anyway, Josh is responding to say, sorry, Nathan, I can't let my point go and not message in again. Your argument that Twitter should have waited a couple of weeks until Trump was a private citizen before banning him is missing a major point of this story. For one, they blocked Trump because of the Capitol riots, which were a historic, dangerous and violent event. For two, they blocked him after he had consistently breached their rules of use and didn't just happen randomly without any warning. And for three, he was using a private account. 
They didn't stop the office of the president from tweeting from the official White House account for public information. They stopped a private account from breaking the rules and held him to account as they would any private account. Well, thanks for your response, Josh. And yes, I, I fully accept that the, the Capitol riots were a, a dangerous and violent event. And you know the, what, what took place there it was absolutely awful. And a, a few people did sadly die during those, those riots. And yes, tr Trump was involved in encouraging people to, to, to go to the, the riot, uh, to the Capitol and to riot it, and to, in, so, in some ways, he, he did uh, encourage the, the violent behavior in some respects by encouraging people to march on in uh, almost a, a militaristic tone in some cases. But uh, actually, Twitter was trying to limit him even when they'd suspended his private account. Because even when the official White House uh, at POTUS account was sending messages that Trump had drafted, Twitter was removing them. And that's, a, that's registered as a, an official US government account. So they were still trying to silence him. And my, my argument is that uh, just, uh, just because the... Uh, uh, just because that Trump was using a private account predominantly that that still doesn't take away the fact that he is the elected president of the United States. He still should have that platform to speak his own mind, as well as having the official White House government channels. And so he should use that to, to provide his own thoughts. And yes, as a private citizen, they can do whatever he likes. But until that point, say a couple of weeks later, he was a, a public figure. But again, thank you for that message, Josh. And again, please keep voting in the poll if you haven't already. And all our contact details can be found on our website, wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. Now, at the start of the, the show, you may have heard me say that at some uh, later on in the show, we were going to look at the role of religion today. But actually, we've had such a, an amazing response to the first topic of freedom of speech today that we've actually decided to carry on with this topic throughout the show. So thank you to everyone who has sent in messages so far. And we'll we'll get, uh, go and take a few more of your messages. So our next one comes from Emma. Emma says, you said earlier, Nathan, that you think that it's toxic how extreme voices on the left and the right are dominating the conversation. But in a way, isn't this always how it's been? It's not a new thing that the conversation is dominated by the loud minority. It's always been the case that those who shout the loudest win. I just think that the de debate is hotter now. Things feel more extreme because the political parties have upped the ante. I know this might touch a nerve with you, Nathan, but just look at Brexit. This was a fringe idea, an extreme sideline via UKIP until the Conservative Party hijacked that message. That is just one example of something that was considered quite extreme becoming a mainstream idea. No wonder society feels more extreme in general when extreme ideas are being made mainstream. Well, thank you for that message, Emma. And yes, uh, having e extreme voices is beneficial in a public debate. Of course it is, because uh, as I keep coming back to, you know, being exposed to new ideas and fresh perspectives, we may not necessarily agree with them, but they certainly make us reconsider our own positions. But on Brexit, the idea of leaving the EU and uh, the the ideology around Euroscepticism was actually beginning to gain traction in the late 1980s with Margaret Thatcher when she was Prime Minister. 
And in fact, just after her third general election win in 1987, uh, she made a fa quite famous speech known afterwards as the Bruges speech to the College of Europe, where she really outlined where the European Union, or as it was then, the European community, was going wrong. And uh, in a, a book that she wrote in 2003, actually advocated for uh, leaving the European Union. And Euroscepticism has been a, a very strong aspect within the Conservative Party since Thatcher was in office and only grown since she uh, stopped being Prime Minister in 1990. And uh, under John Major, when he was entering the Maastricht Treaty in 1992, that, that wing of the Conservative Party grew and uh, their voice became much, much stronger within the debates around Europe. But again, that was... A, a sort of a, a fringe part of the the Conservative Party, and yes, it was UKIP who really brought the idea of a referendum on membership of the European Union to the fore of British politics. It had been discussed previously, uh, particularly within that uh, section of the Conservative Party, which are majority Thatcherites and supporters of Margaret Thatcher's premiership. But it was it was under the leadership of Nigel Farage. Again, wh whether you like him or uh, can't stand him. You cannot take away from him the, the fact that he is an excellent communicator and a brilliant politician. And he he really did sort of come from nowhere as as an MEP. And re really, not many people took much notice of the, the members of the European Parliament. They were just something that had a very low turnout every few years. And uh, because they were elected from lists, no one really knew who they were. But he became the leader of a big group within the European Parliament. He gained a lot of attention, and that was how he was able to promote the ideas of Euroscepticism and a referendum on EU membership. And of course, uh, we all know what happened after that. But no, it's a very uh, good point you make there, Emma, about how certain extreme voices are being amplified. And it is good to be exposed to those ideas. But I, I do worry that we are too focused at the moment on promoting those over uh, you, normal, traditional uh, centre-left, centre-right positions in favour of having a real clash almost within debates at the moment. But thank you for that message, Emma. And our next message comes from Sam. Sam says, I've been wrapping my head around the statistic you quoted that 40% of academics who backed leaving the EU have refrained from publishing or airing views in research for fear of consequences in their career. Well, I mean, firstly, I don't know why when their opinion was... Uh, the one that succeeded in that debate after we brexited didn't we but also i think i don't think we should be demonizing self-censorship to an extent thinking an idea filtering it into our brains and considering the audience we are going to tell that idea to and then deciding the words we're going to use uh, uh, to make sure we're being as effective as possible that's just humanity that isn't infringing on freedom of speech nathan self-censorship and just all-out censorship is not the same thing well, thank you for that message, Sam. And no, not all self-censorship is a, a, an assault on freedom of speech. But the, my arguments around the toxicity around debate and discussion at the moment, particularly in the, the wake of the EU referendum, was just absolutely awful. And it, it, there are many academics, as, as it stated in that uh, research from Policy Exchange, and it's a, it's a very interesting paper they wrote on academic freedom within UK is uh, I'd recommend people look it up online because it is it is an interesting read and particularly around that that particular number 40% of academics you know, the 
we've allowed such, as I keep saying, a toxic culture to develop within debate and discussion that it's simply showing support for leaving the EU, which was a popular choice as shown in the EU referendum results, even though it was tight at 52% to 48% in favour of leave, even though it was tight, it's still an opinion that isn't very popular to have. And even now there are still people who are almost embarrassed to admit that they supported leaving the EU because of how heated the discussion and the debates was around the time of the referendum and indeed during Theresa May's government when they were actually trying to get Brexit done. And, you know, I mean, there was so much animosity around just simply getting Brexit done. There were those on the Remain side who just simply refused to accept that leaving the European Union was on the table, demanded a second referendum to say, no, this cannot happen, we have to remain and just simply ignoring the will of the people in 2016, which is completely anti-democratic. And that level of tension, it did filter into, into the general public. And I'm really, I'm really not surprised that so many academics felt that they uh, had to self-censor and refrain from showing uh, Eurosceptic views because yeah, there were the majority of academics uh, were the ones who supported Remain. The, and data has shown that most of the people who backed Remain were from uh, higher educated backgrounds and wealthier backgrounds, more middle class uh, backgrounds. And so, you know, to, to be surrounded by people who are constantly talking about how we need to stay in the European Union and how uh, leaving is just going to bring the end of civilization as we know it, as some tried to make out, it, it is a difficult atmosphere to work in. And so sadly, I'm, I'm not surprised that so many felt they had to uh, hold back in their views. But uh, th thank you for that message, Sam. And yes, it, it is an interesting statistic, but you're, you're right to point out that not all self-censorship is a, an assault on free speech, but certain aspects of it are. And it's a product of the society that we do currently find ourselves in. And our final message of the day comes from Lucas. Lucas says, the fact that these conversations are happening the fact that you've spent a whole hour on air with so many messages that you had to cancel the religion discussion, which I was looking forward to, says to me that freedom of speech is in a healthy position. Okay, you have corners of the world, whether that be North Korea or even China, Hong Kong or Russia, where there are major issues around freedom of speech. But in the Western world, there has never been more of a debate around freedom, and never a more aggressive debate about society. And the fact that these debates are happening, that's a very good thing. If our freedoms were being infringed, we wouldn't be having these discussions to begin with. It reminds me a lot of the debate around the BBC being neutral. The fact that the left and the right both believe it's biased to the other side probably shows just how neutral it is. Well, thank you for that message, Lucas. And I am sorry that we weren't able to uh, look at the role of religion today. I promise we will be look, uh, return to it very, very soon because like you, I, I too was looking forward to discussing it, but do not worry, we will come back to that, I promise you. But on, on your point around the fact that we are having these conversations, that, that's the benefit of living in a, a, a free country and a free society generally, that we can discuss these issues at great length and have opposing views and learn from one another. But you're, you're right to point out that there are extremes like North Korea and China and Hong Kong where the, you know, we don't have those opportunities where the, the very essence of freedom is is just being eroded and being taken away constantly, stripped away. 
But yes, we are having these discussions, but that's because they are necessary discussions because we are seeing the the infringements on free speech constantly. Yes, through social media as a prime example, and even on university campuses, but even in the press as well. I mean, again, I'm sure that this will spark many messages, but I'm afraid we are running slightly out of time. But again, just the example of uh, what was in the press around Hunter Biden's laptop that was censored by so many news outlets, including the social media platform, after the New York Post reported three weeks before the presidential election that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, uh, he'd left his laptop in in an airport toilet and... Uh, It had all sorts of classified information on it that anyone could have uh, picked up and seen. And even the New York Times recently admitted that they were censoring that content ahead of the presidential election. And so many other news outlets and uh, social media platforms were. But just think about the impact that could have had in the in the presidential election. Now, I know it's, it's all academic now because Joe Biden is the president of the United States. And, you know, we can discuss these bits of information are being discussed now that he is in office. But it's the impact that that could have had and that that styming, not not just of free speech, but also of freedom of the press, because that was a story in the public interest that was actively being censored. But again, thank you for that message, Lucas, and especially on the BBC. I mean, again, BBC is a topic we could cover for a whole hour as well. And I, I have my reservations about the BBC. But again, just because both sides can pick out certain aspects of bias, that doesn't necessarily reflect the, the ideas being free, fair and impartial, as the, the Rethian principles which the BBC were founded on are uh, uh, showing. But actually, just because you can pick out certain aspects of bias doesn't mean necessarily it is neutral. It just means we are showing, uh, that, that we are seeing those aspects of bias. But thank you for that message, Lucas. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week. And it's been a fantastic discussion we've had today. So thank you for all of your messages. And uh, thank you for sending in so many as well. We really weren't expecting to spend the full hour on this topic. But thank you anyway. Let's check in with the final poll result. 61% of you say yes, free speech is disappearing. 39% of you say no, it is not. Well, thanks to everyone who's listened this week. I'm Nathan Eckersley, and I'll be back at the same time, same place next week. Goodbye.